Thank you for joining us at the First Baptist Church of Coleraine, Massachusetts. It is our prayer that this message will encourage the believer and bring the unbeliever closer to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, and welcome those who will be listening and seeing us this morning in the service. We are pleased to have Pastor Renzo Ventris come in and fill in for Pastor Jim while he's recuperating from knee surgery. And so uh, over the next few weeks, uh, Pastor Renzo will be uh, preaching to us, and we look forward to hearing what God has given him to say. Pastor. Kindly open your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 26. First of all, good morning, First Baptist Church of Coleraine, Massachusetts. Amen. I want to thank all of you for praying, having prayed for my wife when she was literally deathly sick. Um, last year, my wife was sick for about two treacherous months, and I put out a Betsy report on Facebook uh, every day, and about a thousand believers all over the world, churches all over New England prayed for my wife. My wife is a legend. My wife, I can't live without Jesus. And I can't live without my wife. That's just the way it is. My wife has taught in, in, at the Springfield Christian School for many years and also taught at the um, Westfield Christian Academy to the Russian Evangelical Baptist Church. She's dearly beloved by hundreds of students who are now in their 30s and 40s. But I want to thank you that you wrestled with God on behalf of, uh, on behalf of my wife. And from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for that. <clears throat> As we're turned to uh, Acts chapter 26, I want to just uh, ask the Lord's blessing on a reading of the word. Father, we thank you so much for those who are here today. We, we pray that you would um, bless them and you would minister to their needs. And Father, most of all, we pray for revival in New England. We pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, I just found out about a half an hour ago uh, that one of the deacons told me that First Baptist Church of Coleraine was the was the result of the Haystack Revival not far from here. Lord God, we pray for revival in the lives of every Christian in New England. We pray for a great awakening to happen in this area, for, for an, a harvest of souls to be swept into the kingdom of God. In Jesus' precious name, and God's people said, <clears throat> Acts chapter 26. I almost forgot yesterday that we were going to be reading from the New International Version, and I brought it. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, especially uh, so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country, that is, when he was in Tarsus of Cilicia, also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now, it is because of my hope, <clears throat> excuse me, and what God has promised to our fathers, that I am on trial today. This is the promise of the 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope 
that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from synagogue to another to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme. And in my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. And on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing all around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of all that you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Father, we ask that now that the Spirit of God would anoint this message to the glory of God and to uh, our ministry in this area of Western Massachusetts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> this morning, before I give you the title of the message, I know you're, I'm going to give it to you in a minute, but I want you to think before the title, I want you to think of the Holy Spirit's purpose for Acts chapter 26. What's the reason? What's the purpose behind this event? And the theme is your involvement in the harvest of eternal souls. Our involvement in the harvest of eternal souls. The title of today's message is The Purpose of Hope-Filled Evangelism. Not the purpose of dreary compulsory, I got to do it evangelism, but the purpose of hope-filled evangelism. This morning I want to share with you something that I read uh, from the Our Daily Breads. How many of you love Our Daily Bread? I walked into this great chapel and I saw a, a booklet that has had a tremendous impact on my whole life. After Jesus saved me, I must have read the Our Daily Bread morning, noon, and night for five years. And so this comes from the Our Daily Bread, January 22nd, 2004. It's a true story. As a child growing up in the old Soviet Union, 
Um, Nicholas was the only child in his school that refused to join a political group. And because of it, he was despised and hated by everyone. Because of his faith in God, he was singled out for ridicule. He received terrible grades he did not deserve. And he was denied, because of his Christianity, acceptance into university. But despite the opposition, this young person persisted. And later on in years, he led even some of his persecutors to trust in Jesus Christ. Now he's the pastor of a thriving, massive church in Belarus. The Apostle Paul suffered persecution. His faith landed him in the court of Agrippa. And we read about his testimony in Acts 26, 6. He says, I stand here, Agrippa, King Agrippa, I'm judged because of the hope that I can't wait to see uh, fulfilled. And he gave his witness about his his conversion in Christ and about the resurrection of Jesus and everything he said was very clear and very uh, convicting. When you and I live out our faith in Jesus, even though we may be ridiculed or persecuted, you and I have the great assurance to know our sins are forgiven and we look forward to being with Jesus forever. We need to want to share our faith with others. Some people will want to know the reason for our hope. And when questions come, we need to be ready to give a witness. When witnessing, if people ask, how do you know it's true? Remember that they can't deny what Jesus Christ has done in you. Our witness for Jesus Christ is a light in the world full of darkness. And today, I want to share this message with you because no one in the world could have ever believed that Saul of Tarsus could have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. It is absolutely revolutionary. How in God's good name could the greatest persecutor of the history of the church become saved? Never mind saved, become a disciple and an apostle and one who wrote half the New Testament. I know what you might be thinking. There are people in your life, people that you work with, people in your neighborhood, people in Coal Range, Shelburne, and Western Massachusetts, and you might be thinking, there's no way in heaven God could ever save that wretched person. But we need to look at ourselves in the mirror and remember the wretch that we were, especially in me. And so... This is a message of great hope that we can give to people who believe that they're beyond the grace of God, that they could never be rescued, that heaven could never be their home. The Holy Spirit is calling Christians all over New England. He's calling and he's compelling us to be willing to pay the price to minister in our local church, to witness when we leave the doors of our local church, and to share the gospel with everyone we meet. And why is this important? Because you and I are living in in the midst of a broken society. And Jesus sends us as gospel light to enlighten, to love, and to lead people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ.
The only remedy for the terrible situation in the world you and I are living in is they need to see on fire, spirit-filled, unhinged, devoted disciples of Jesus that will stop at nothing and be ashamed of nothing and share the gospel in love and in humility with everyone we meet. The great theologian, Dr. J. Adams, said we should share the gospel with everyone, everywhere, every time, because people die every minute of the day. Our reticence to open up our mouth and give a gospel track or share our testimony might be us denying someone an opportunity to find out about heaven. The Bible says in Acts chapter 26, verse 18, Jesus said to the apostle, and Jesus through his word is saying to us today, and if you're watching this through YouTube or um, Facebook, and you are born again, and you're a Christian, Jesus is saying these words to us through his word. I've saved your soul so you would be able to open people's eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, and this is the most important part of the message today, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Aren't you glad that someone shared the gospel of Jesus with you? What if they were disobedient to the heavenly vision? What if they were disobedient to the Holy Spirit's prodding, listen, to care for your soul? The psalmist said, no man cares for my soul, but someone cared for your soul. Someone cared for my soul. And they took us a, 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 a step of faith. They said, they pushed away any potential ridicule or hatred. And they pressed forward in faith. Why? Because they cared for our souls. And they were not disobedient to the heavenly vision. They were not disobedient to the prodding of the Holy Spirit. And so today, the purpose of this message is, There are people who live on planet Earth for so long and then they will live someplace in eternity. And it's up to us to be fishers of men and women. Amen? Isn't that our our job title? Isn't that what Jesus has called every brother and sister throughout all the continents and all the centuries of the world to care for people? Because Paul was always ready to share the gospel despite persecution. You and I must be always, not something, always ready to do the same and not some in all circumstances. So this morning we're going to do a deep dive into the scripture and let's discover together this morning the unbelievable life-changing conversion of the greatest enemy of the Christian church and Jesus' plan for his life and yours today. Let's look at the text as, as you have your eyes on the text, I want to just share something with you about what it means to be born again. 44 years ago, in a couple of months, I worked in a little company in Ludlow, Massachusetts. And there were three Christians there that I made fun of. 
And I really made fun of them for being Christians. I was trying to get them angry, but none of them got angry because they were not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And instead of getting angry, you know what they did? They went back to their local churches and Bible studies and prayed for this this insane, rascally Italian guy who said terrible, vulgar language before them. They didn't return evil for evil, but they prayed for my soul. Gil Gardell from First Baptist Church in East Long Meadow, Pastor Stephen Graham, who mentored me and was the first best friend I ever had in my whole life. I'll love him forever because he told me about Jesus. And Earl Westcott from Blessed Hope Adventist Church made fun of them, but they never returned evil for evil. And you know what happened? It was like a knife from heaven went through my soul. And it brought tremendous guilt and conviction to this foul-mouthed person. And I wanted to know what made them tick. Because I never made fun of anybody in my life that never gave it back to me. And so I said, I got to know if this Jesus is for real. Long story short, Pastor Graham shared with me the reality of heaven and hell. And I think it was April 3rd when I had heard about the test, the day before he came and shared the gospel with me. The next day his car broke down and he, and he asked if I could pick him up and I asked him, what did you read last night when you went to bed? I read about a book from C.H. Spurgeon on deathbed experiences. My God Almighty. I have been scared to death my whole life. See, my mom was 40 years old when I was born. My dad was 54. When your parents are as old as your grandparents, you know you think pretty soon they might die and you might be all left alone. And I have been bearing the fear of death for 20 years in my life. Didn't want to talk about death. But that day, God had an appointment with me. And he told me about the difference of what happens when some go to heaven and some go to hell. I wept all the way to work. I wept all, all throughout work. I came home and I melted like wax before the presence of God. And 20 years of sin crushed me. I washed my hands. I took a shower. I washed the filth off my fingers, but I couldn't wash the filth off my soul. And I remembered what he shared with me. He that, is, he that will save his life will lose it. But he that will lose his life for my sake will keep it. And that moment I begged Jesus about a hundred times. I, I was saved not to have assurance of salvation for another month. Because Jesus was beating the hell out of me. He beat out my vulgar speech. He beat out the anger. He beat a lot of things out of me because a lot of things had to leave my life. But I told him, if you would save me from hell, I would serve you and tell people about how to get to heaven for the rest of my life. And by the grace of God, I'm still trying to keep that promise. And so, uh, Roger Campbell said, Three things happen to every boy and girl 
of every color, of every language, of every tribe, of every culture, in every century. When Jesus Christ saves a person's soul, as what happened here, he says this in verse 3 through 5, 15 that we read, he changes the destination of your soul. Write that down. Changes the destination of your soul. Verses 16 through 25, he changes the direction of your life. He changes the direction of your life. Lastly, he changes the desires of your heart in verse 26 through 29. One of my favorite uh, writers, A.W. Pink, said, quote, Salvation is a supernatural thing that changes the heart, renews the will, transforms the life, so that it is evident to everyone all around that a miracle of grace has occurred. Let me tell you something. When I went back to work, and I didn't swear again, and I didn't uh, say things to people, and I didn't mock people anymore, people shook their heads and they said, what is wrong with you? I said, nothing's wrong with me. Everything was wrong with me for 20 years, but now Jesus has saved my soul. And I began to share the gospel with people at work, and they just could not believe it. You know what? It's been 44 years I look in the mirror. I still can't believe it. It's a miracle we've been born again, isn't it? When people you know, ask, does God perform miracles? Say, yes, you're looking at one. We are miracles. And so there are some uh, four points I want you to write down today in this message. We'll be done in about 15 minutes or so. But I want to just... Share four things that I'd like you to write down. Why have we been saved? What was the purpose of the Holy Spirit sending somebody to love your soul to tell you about eternity in heaven? Was it just a get out of hell card? No. That's what the devil wants our Christian life to be. A Christian life that's just all about us. The Christian life is not about me. It's not about even the people in this beautiful local church. It's about, like that old Baptist minister used to say when we grew up, we are the people in your neighborhood. We're in your neighborhood. We're in your neighborhood. We were saved to go after all these brothers and sisters in humanity in our neighborhood. Not yet brothers and sisters in Christ, but they are brothers and sisters in humanity. And we have the gospel that can change their life radically, cataclysmically, forever change them. Don't ever think anyone is beyond the pale. Because when you do, think of Acts chapter 26 and Jesus appearing right in front of the worst person that, I mean, can you imagine being a Christian and, 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 and during this time and Saul gets saved? Who in God's name wants to involve, invite this guy to the next Bible study? I mean, can you imagine the anger that you and I would have experienced? He was the person who killed my mother. See, this is when it comes down to, to like where we live. 
And sometimes we don't want to share the gospel because sometimes people in our community have hurt us. Hurting people hurt people. And we have to get over that and get over where they live and share what Christ has done in us. So, like Paul, we've been saved for this purpose, for ministering, for ministering. Pastor, I thought that was the deacon's job and the, and the, and the, and the that's why we pay the pastor. Uh, no, that's not, no, that's not biblical. We were saved to serve. John, Jesus said in John 15, 20, a servant is not above his master. If they persecute you, remember they persecuted me before they persecute you. Why is it maybe sometimes we don't share our faith? Because we don't want to be rejected. Because we don't want people to make fun of us. The fear of rejection prevents us from sharing our faith. But brothers and sisters, we got to push beyond that. Amen? We got to just... I saw something in the men's room that said, choose faith over fear. When it comes to sharing the gospel, we got to choose faith over fear. The Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Amen? Jesus was a servant to his father. He came for our eternal benefit. Jesus also said, not only are you saved to serve me, <clears throat> but like Paul, we've been saved for the purpose of witnessing. John 20, 21, Jesus said, as my father has sent me, even so send I you. This is, this is unbelievable. Think about this. Paul teaches us, I believe, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you and I have been given the privilege of being ambassadors for God. Uh, now, I know I, I'm not worthy of that. None of us are. But nevertheless, Jesus has made us. He is our brother, and we are his brother, and you are his sisters, and he is our Savior, our God and Lord. But you know what? He is calling you. He, Jesus said, even as, so as, just like God sent me to this wicked, cursed planet for your salvation, would you do people a favor and do what I did? Aren't you glad I came and died for you? Aren't you glad I didn't have cold feet and go back and let you die on your own? I loved you enough to die for you. The question is, do we love the people in our communities and cities and our neighborhood to tell them what Jesus has done for us? Listen to me. You don't have to go to Bible college to do that. You just got to appreciate your salvation. Don't turn there, but write this down. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. The, the apostles go over the Sea of Galilee, and there's a tremendous storm. We don't know why. We don't know if God allowed it, but we don't know if Satan caused it to happen because on the other side of the Sea of Galilee was a poor man that was cutting himself with stones. He was demon-possessed. He was someone's little boy. He was someone's brother. He was a hopeless case. There are people everywhere that live around us that are like this. People look at them and say, man, they're, they're hopeless, helpless. But Jesus crossed over the Sea of Galilee. When that man met Jesus, he fell down, worshipped him. 
He wanted to be with him after Jesus performed the exorcism. After he was saved, he said, Jesus, I just want to be with you. You know what Jesus said? Go home and tell your friends what God has done for you and has had mercy on you. Friends? <laughs> friends? What demon-possessed person has friends? Go make friends. Go get friends. Go tell somebody about Jesus. You know what? When he got saved, he said, Jesus just rescued me. Jesus took hell out of me. Jesus came after me. I'm going to go tell everybody about Jesus. And I don't care if they don't like it or not. I'm not going to be rude. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be respectful. But I got to tell somebody what Jesus has done for me. So, like Paul, we've been saved for a purpose to open and turn people. You know, my wife, her sister, when we were at Pioneer Valley Baptist Church, when I was a, a lay preacher studying for the ministry, one of our brothers was a Kirby vacuum cleaner guy. He shared the gospel. He just got saved. He hadn't gone to Bible. He just got saved, radically saved. He shared the gospel with my sister-in-law. She came to chapel. She heard the word. She got convicted. She got saved. She told my sister, my gorgeous wife, Betsy, she got saved. They told my sister-in-law, Denise, she repented of her sin. She got saved. My, my, my other sister-in-law, years down the road, gave her life to Christ. All it takes is appreciation. You know what penetrates through the, the, the barrier of fear and rejection? How much do you appreciate what Jesus Christ has done for you? Can I get an amen? Talk to me. So, I want to say this before we close. Like Paul, it's not enough to know what Jesus has done for you. We must not be disobedient to the heavenly vision. God has done something unbelievable in all of your lives. You have a testimony that is so powerful, you giving your testimony will arrest people's attention, can stop traffic. Come on, Pastor. Aren't you being a little bit facetious? Aren't you kind of exaggerating? Well, let me tell you a, a true story. Last illustration. One of the most famous apologists and, and scholars in the whole world in the last 30 years, a very humble man, William Craig Lane convincingly set forth a historical argument for believing in Jesus. This comes from on, on our, our Daily Bread uh, devotional on Acts 26. It's called What God Has Done. Lane told the story of his conversion. As a child, as I say this, put yourself in the position. Never went to church. When he was a teenager, he was plagued about the thoughts of death. And the meaning of life. Started going to church, but the sermons didn't answer his questions. What he saw in his church-going classmates led him to conclude most Christians were phonies. So he got angry, became a loner. But one day, there was a hope-filled evangelist, female teenager. She was always filled with the Holy Spirit. She had a smile on her face like a Cheshire cat. And he was attracted to her joy. And um, she seemed so happy. And she said, I'm happy because I've got Jesus in my life. And she uh, uh, assured this teenager 
that Jesus also loved him and wanted to live in his life. So for the next six months, he began to read the New Testament. He came at, I said, I came at the end of my rope. I cried out to God. I cried out all the bitterness and anger that was in me. I felt this tremendous infusion of joy after I gave my life to Christ. At that moment, God became a living reality in my life. That reality has never left me. When we tell others our logic for believing in Jesus, which is based on God's word, that's wonderful. But you know what they need also to hear? It's also important for you to tell them your testimony and what Jesus has done for you. Because when people hear our testimony, it gives them hope that they could also be forgiven. You may be tempted to debate, to change another's view, but nothing speaks with greater power than what Christ has done in you. When telling others what Jesus can do for them, tell them what he's done for you. I want to just bring this message to a close, and I want you to think about three things. Like Jesus and Paul, faithfully minister so that when you die, and that will be very soon for all of us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Listen to me, I don't, I don't care about what anybody tells me. I don't want to get up attaboy from anybody. But if I live and I die, and if you and I live and die, and we stand before nobody else but the Savior with those piercing eyes of fire, and he says to you with a smile, well done, you good and faithful servant. You know what? That's going to take care of me for all eternity. Amen? That's what we ought to be living and dying for. Secondly, like Paul and the early church martyrs, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the dunamis, it's the power of God to change someone's life. If God saved our soul, saved Saul of Tarsus' soul, he could save anybody's soul. How do I know? I was, my wife and I went on a missions trip to Italy. I went to a Bible study in the Roman Colosseum. You know what happens? People laugh everywhere, but you know where nobody laughs? Nobody laughs when you go into the Roman Colosseum. You want to know why? Tens or hundreds of thousands of Christians died. You know why? Because they did not reject or go back on their promise to serve Jesus. And they love their lives even to the death. That was the most serious Bible study and prayer meeting. As long, I could live a million years, but nothing ever grabs your attention. When you walk in a place where people like us by the tens of thousands died, be willing to pay the price. And I want to share this benediction with you. But before I do, I close with this poem. This poem was written by a man who was the greatest cricket player of his time, C.T. Studd. He was a multimillionaire, gave almost all his money away. 
When you think about sharing the gospel and then you get hesitant, I want you to <clears throat> go on Facebook or Google and Google this poem. Print it out. Put it in your Bible so that it might encourage you. This is the last thing I will say and then we'll close. Only one life will soon be passed. Only one life for Christ will last. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life? Yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life? The still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me from selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will and word to cleave. Because only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life? With a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep, faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life? will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life? Yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I'll know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I will be if the lamp of my life has burned out for thee. Let's bow our heads. Oh, precious Lord Jesus, we worship you. We, we wonder how in the world you can love us and come and die for us today. Father, we thank you. You've given us a mission. You've given us a mission and a purpose for life. 
that we would harvest eternal souls in our family, in our neighborhood, in our towns, at work, and wherever we go. We will go everywhere, every day, telling everyone about the gospel. If you're watching this broadcast on YouTube or on Facebook, and you are where I was uh, 44 years ago, and you don't know if you should die, if heaven would be your home, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What is the key to heaven? It is coming out with your hands up and admitting that you and I are sinners and we can't earn our way to heaven. We've got to come to Jesus and place our faith in Christ alone and by faith alone. Today, if you want to give your heart and life to Christ wherever you are at watching this uh, message, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who... uh, Labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you will surrender the title deed of your life over to Christ and ask him to forgive you of your sins, you will be born again in that moment, and then you will make your choice to live for Christ every day. If you're here today in in this chapel and you've never been born again, I want you to see me after service or one of these three deacons. Now let's close for the benediction. And this comes from Jude, verses 21 through 24. But you, beloved, building up yourselves in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a difference. And on others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power now and forever. Amen. Thank you again for tuning in. You can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you find podcasts. We'd love for you to join us at the First Baptist Church in Coleraine for Sunday morning worship at 11 a.m. We are located at 81 Foundry Village Road, Coleraine, Massachusetts. If you have any questions or inquiries, please feel free to call the church at 413-624-8886. Hope to see you soon. God bless.